Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Did your weekend have a good groove going on? Okay. <laughs> we'll open your Bibles. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason, a lead pastor here. And it is my privilege to open up the Word of God with you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today, covering 18 through 25, picking up right where we left off last week. And we're walking through this series in Romans chapter 8. It is one of the best summations of the gospel of what the entire Bible teaches about what God has done and is doing to pull us from death, to redeem us, to know us. And so we're excited about that. Our mission statement at Puerto Rico Church is Uniting People to Life in Christ. Uh, the series title is Life in Christ, Learning to Live Life in Christ, meaning this, we want to understand what it means to apply the power of the gospel in our lives in real time. And let's just be honest, it's easier to do that now or not do that because life is more difficult. It just is. So we're going to talk about sufferings today. That's where the text goes. So it's very appropriate for where we are as a church, as a city, as a nation, as a world. So to get us thinking like that, so to open the door for us, I'm going to ask you, like, what, what makes suffering bearable for you? Because everybody suffers, everybody experiences loss. How do you deal with it? What makes it bearable? Well, let me give you some examples. What about an awful job? If you're in a dead-end job, how do you deal with that? Probably one of two ways. One, you might say, well, you know what? It's a lot better than that other job, that really, really horrible job that I had uh, a couple weeks ago or a couple years ago. Or, you can, or maybe you're in a situation where you're like, you know what, I'm in this dead-end job, I hate it, it's not good for me, but I have another job, it's, it's squared away, I've landed it, and I'll be starting there in two months. So like, yeah, this job, so what? I have to deal with this job in two more months. We do that. Or um, one of my favorites is a juice cleanse. Have you ever done a juice cleanse? They're toxic to me. I tried it once. I was ill for three days. Could, uh, not, no joke. Now, my beautiful bride, she's, she likes this, and she's like grinding up beets and like potted plants and all kinds of stuff, and she wants me to taste it. I'm like, I, it still makes me ill. But why does she do that? She chooses to do that because she has a better future in mind. You can endure a bad job because you have a better future in mind. You can endure the pain and suffering of exercise because you have a better future in mind. Great. We all get that. What if it happens to you, not by your choice? What if you had no decision in the process and suffering happens to you? And not only that, what if it rips your future out of your hand? What if it takes a possibly good future and destroys it? Now what? How do you make that suffering bearable? What about death? What about COVID-19? And not just the restrictions, but all the implications that ripple through society and life. I don't know. I mean, you even see this week in hurricane, right? Yeah, hurricanes. Yeah. Things are happening to us all the time that can and will destroy our future ultimately. How do you handle that? How does the gospel, the power of the gospel, interact, intercede, intersect with that type of suffering? Well, we're going to find out. Friends, here's one thing that I can tell you. Present circumstances 
have really made it really clear to us, hasn't it, that life can be very, very dark. And your ability and my ability to endure that season, to endure difficult seasons, suffering, has very little to do with your positive outlook and everything to do with where you lodge your expectations. See, lodging our deepest longings and our expectations in nothing less than God's glory is the only way to endure, the only way to run the race, the only way to not stop, quite frankly. If you lodge your desires and your longings and your expectations in anything short of that, you're going to burn out. You're not going to make it. That's what the text is going to lead us through. So think about that. How do you deal with expectations, especially when they're broken or suffering or lost? So we're going to jump right in. Chapter 8 of Romans, verses 18 through 25. So here we go. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Hmm. I worry we don't understand this in the way that you want us to. And we desperately need it. Our prayer this morning, as we humbly come before you, Heavenly Father, is that you would open up our eyes, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to believe, that we might understand this and live it out, Lord, that it might transform us. So we humbly ask for this blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, get right to the punchline. What is the text saying? These present sufferings, whether it's a broken relationship, a broken body, a broken mind, deep and debilitating sadness or depression or anxiety, or whether your house was wiped out from Hurricane Laura, or you lost a job, these present sufferings somehow are not even comparable to the glory that God has to reveal to us. So, your expectations will drive your endurance. If you set short of God's glory, the way the text reads, you're going to have a hard time making it. 
So your expectations will drive your endurance, my endurance. Three things we see in the text. We'll pull these out. I always like to throw these up up front so we can kind of track along. So if that's true, well, what should we expect? Number one, we should expect loss. Well, that's not good, but we'll talk about that. Secondly, you should expect a groaning glory. So it's, it's not just glory. The text says some weird things. It's, it's a groaning glory. We actually join creation in that. And lastly, you should expect victory. Not just a victory. You should expect total victory, so much so that it changes how you live right now, even though your full and final victory, though it's secured and guaranteed, will be consummated finally in, in the future. So for you personally. So let's walk through that together. Expect loss first. If we're going to let our expectations drive our endurance, you have to understand this. Expect loss. Uh, friends, it's so easy to look at this text and say, well, these present sufferings, you know, they're just not going to compare with God's glory. Friends, we as Christians do a bad job of actually teaching this to one another. Here's the things that we will say to one another. I would call them like Christian-esque escapisms. We'll say things like, hey, you know what? Look on the bright side. Or, God is sovereign, and I'm sure it'll work out. Uh, you know what? It's, it's uh, just look on the bright side. God will enter into this. Stay positive, right? Just keep a positive mindset. That's what God wants for you. Yeah, it's true. Positive mindset's good. It's, it's a good thing. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that God's future glory that will be revealed to you is not even comparable to the sufferings that you're enduring right now. Now, if somebody walked up to you and said that, you're going to be offended. Who can say that to you? Oh, well, I know that you, uh, you know, lost a spouse, but you know what? God's glory is better than that. Or I know that you lost a job and you can't buy anything anymore, but God's glory, no, you're not going to hear that. In fact, all that we usually offer is escapism. Right? Well, you know what? Just put your mind over here. Or we turn to things that will help us escape. Alcohol, media, entertainment. And so our response to loss and pain is to escape from it. Here's what God does in the text. He gets down and looks you square in the eyes. He says, I have an eternal hope that is infinitely better than the loss and the pain and the suffering that you are presently experiencing. Period. That is powerful because it's true. Just right to our face. Um, A way to understand this is, does everybody know what a thimble is? It's like a little thing for sewing. It looks like a little tiny cup, but apparently it's for not stabbing your finger. You've seen one. So if you were standing at the shore and you scooped up some water and you're looking out over the ocean and you have a thimble that's full of a little tiny, maybe a half ounce of water, and you're looking at the ocean, It's comparable. There's a lot more water in the ocean than there is in the thimble. The sense we get from this text is God's hope for you is not even comparable. God's glory that he's going to reveal to you, to us, is not even comparable to what we're experiencing now. It's infinitely better. That being said, experiencing loss is normal for a Christian. Sometimes I don't think we tell people this. We need to. Oh, because it really matters, A, and it really matters especially now. If you're going to be born again of God, if you're going to be birthed out of grace, 
if you're going to be an adopted heir, you will suffer. The cross always comes before the crown. You're not earning. We know that. There's no condemnation. So you're not earning your spot at the table. You have it. But this world is no longer your home. So it's going to feel foreign and you will suffer, especially for following Christ. That is what God tells us. So it's normal for us to suffer. Everybody born of God will do that. So expect loss. Don't be shocked when that happens. Don't be shocked when this life can no longer be the measure of your happiness. It happens. So our expectations drive our endurance. Um, our, our phones are great now. They're a great camera. So nobody has a camera anymore, at least not very many people. But back in the day, we used to have these cameras, and they would have huge lenses. Some lenses were for close-up, and some were for, um, I don't even know they call it, telephoto, long-range. And if you were trying to take a picture of something like maybe a couple miles out, and you had a short-range lens on it, it would come out grainy, it would be awful, no clarity, you, because you can't see it. You're looking through the long lens, or the wrong lens, rather. This is how many of us are dealing with loss and suffering. We are looking at our life through the lens of our loss, and we are confused, and it's all self-referential, and we're, we're entering into despair or self-pity, when all the while, God doesn't call you to look at your life through the lens of your suffering. This text is teaching us to look at our suffering through the lens of his glory. Not, not only is it much greater and does it eclipse all that we experience, we know that in Christ, we're going to get to this at the, at the end of Romans, even our suffering and our pain and our loss is transformed into glory into his plan. So, what lens do you look through? Are you looking through the lens of your loss? Is that how you see life? Or are you looking through the lens of God's glory and your loss is a part of that? So, your expectations will drive your endurance, your ability to go the distance. Number one, expect loss. Is that too dour? It isn't, friend, especially when God is going to do something with that. Secondly, Expect groaning glory. This is odd, but this is where the text goes. So the way that the Apostle Paul, the way that God inspired through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul's letter here to the church in Rome was to say, okay, and you may not understand what I mean when I say this present suffering doesn't compare with the glory that God's going to reveal to you. So I'm going to show you what I mean through creation. And the idea is that when you take a look at creation at large, the frustration, the fact that it's bound to decay, uh, we've got hurricanes, we've got COVID, we've got all these things in the natural world, you will start to understand that that chaos and that futility is not just around you, it's in you too. You will start to make sense of the longings and the incompleteness that you have internally that draws you beyond yourself because creation has it too. And so what's, with, what's around you is also within you, and you feel that. So how do we get there? This is so interesting. I want you to, well, I'm going to turn to you, uh, Genesis 3, verse 17, because it makes sense of what this text is going to do for us. Now, the first three chapters of Genesis, it's very important to understand that, to understand the whole Bible. But after Adam and Eve sinned, basically said, 
I don't think I can trust my happiness to you. I need to define good for myself. Therefore, I will eat of the apple. I will take what you don't want to give me because I need it. There was a curse. Verse 17, Adam's getting cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all your days. This is a cursed creation. Thorns and thistles I shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So we see in the creation account the fall of humanity, that because Adam and Eve were king and queen of all of creation and everything that God made, he handed it to them because of their fall and their sin, all of creation died with it and was put into bondage to futility, to decay. We kind of have this cycle in creation, death, decay, dust, and it goes on and on and on. A little bit like if your heart gives out, your kidney dies too. When the leader of an organization does a bad job, everybody in the organization suffers too. Adam sins, creation falls. It falls into futility. What does that mean? It means the purpose that creation had isn't going to happen. You ever had something you really wanted to do and you knew you were made to do it and you're gifted for it and the opportunity was there and you could never get it done? For whatever reason, it, you just couldn't get it done. This is what's happening with creation. Futility. Subjected to futility by God himself. But the text says, in hope, right? In hope of redemption. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. In other words, nobody wants suffering, nobody wants loss, including God's created order. But because of him, that's God, who just subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now, this idea of hope, here's what it's not saying. It's not saying, God's not saying, you know, I just, I kind of hope it worked it out, so I just kind of let creation fall with Adam and Eve, and, you know, maybe when they get their act together, creation will be restored. It's not saying that. It's not wish. It's absolute certainty. This is the type of hope this is speaking about. God knows creation will be released from bondage to futility and decay because he's going to do it. And he's going to do it through the work of the true Adam, Christ, who will not be swallowed by the grave. So there's not a question here. It's subjected in hope. But here's, here's something you need to hear. Creation's waiting for you. It says eagerly awaiting. The idea is almost like up on tiptoes watching. Like creation gets its hope on, on this fact. Those who belong to God will be revealed as glorious. Not because we're glorious, but because he is. And creation standing up there, one commentator says, almost like tiptoes, waiting for the people of God to come into their own. Do you, do you wait for that? Is it weird that creation might be more excited about your future than you are? So a groaning glory. And it uses this idea of childbirth, not just for creation, but he ties it to us. 
For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves. So, I already got in trouble for this for the surface. I'm at first service. I'm going to say it anyway. Childbirth is violent. And it's, you know, we have modern medicine, so it's not nearly as dangerous as it used to be. But it puts the mom at risk, puts the kid at risk. Like, this idea of birth pains, you see it in creation. You see hurricanes, you see destruction, you see the West Coast burning down, you see, you see decay, you see an, a, a universe that consumes more energy than it gives off, that's dying. You see it everywhere. And there's the idea of these birth pains, these, these roiling pains. There's a violence to it um, where creation is not only giving up what it should, but God has muted that uh, because of our sin, but there's pain to it. Creation fills that and we feel it too. Now, here's what's different. The text says that we groan because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been um, at somebody's house for dinner and they stick out like a bowl of chips? I mean, that's going to be my house, so if you've been there, you know that's true. But then maybe they're making something really good and they're like, it's not done yet, but they bring over a spoon like, oh, you got to taste this. This is so good. Let me cut off a little tiny piece of this. you got to taste it. And you're like, oh, it's amazing. And you're just so hungry, and you're desiring it, and you're longing for it, and you just walk away from the bowl of chips. That's the idea of the first fruit of the Spirit. Not only is he a guarantee of your redemption, you're tasting God's glory right then and there, and you're losing an appetite for all those things that do not satisfy you're removing your expectations from finding happiness in those to your relationship with God. It's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like living in your dream house, but you're in a reno project. They've got walls being knocked down. There's dust everywhere from the sheetrock. The buzz saws are gone. Like, you're living there. This house is awesome. You've always wanted this house, but it's under construction. So you're longing and you're waiting for that day. You've seen the blueprints. You know it's great. You've taken up residence, but it's not finished yet. That's what it feels like to groan in glory, to have the deposit of the Spirit of God in you, tasted glory, but all around us the world is unraveling as we are. But what doesn't unravel is what God puts there. The Spirit of God leads us on. So groaning glory, expect that. So one of the persons that developed me as a Christian that was one of my mentors is my mother-in-law. And I spent a lot of time at their house before we were married. And she just, she had a fantastic way to set her expectations, to set herself in heaven before she got there. And I was so attracted to that. And, just, she, just, and she even helped develop um, my mom as a new believer. And she was just awesome. She's got dementia. I mean, she doesn't, it, it's, I don't want to talk about it. It's bad. We are groaning. It's a sigh. It's, 
there's nobody that I know that, was in, that, that really set their expectations in heaven, and now that all she can do is be served, you know? That, my friends, is coming to every one of us in some shape or form. And so this verse this week, as I was studying, I couldn't stop thinking of her. Just an exhale, a sigh, a groaning glory. If you set your expectations here, um, your hope's going to die with them, okay? So your expectations will drive your endurance, experience loss, yes, a groaning glory, but here's so important. Here's what my mother-in-law knew. She expected victory. That's it. You have got to expect victory. And I think you get that in a spiritual sense, but it doesn't make sense to you in the real world. What do we see in the verse? Uh, we see full adoption. You learned about this last week as Pastor Nate Wagner talked about what that feels like. And Scripture even personifies creation to show us that we're heirs. But it says that we wait eagerly for that full adoption. We wait eagerly for that adoption. So here's what that should feel like to you. It's like a child who's been adopted fully and finally, well, not finally, but legally has your name, but that child is either in a different country or in a different state, and you really haven't been possessed yet by that, that home. You're waiting, you belong, you're adopted, but you're waiting for the fullness of that. You're waiting to take up residence finally and fully. Man, if life doesn't feel like that in Christ, I don't know what does. So the text says we, we are waiting for that, and also we're waiting for redeemed bodies. This is so weird for people, but it's so true. We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. That's not about gender, that's about an heir speaks to the time in the first century, a full heir, the redemption of our bodies. Friend, look at your hand. When Christ returns, that's redeemed. I don't know what it's going to look like or feel like, but it's, got, it's going to be something very close to this. Our bodies will experience full redemption in the new heavens and the new earth. I, that, done. I don't know what to say about that. We, we so separate the spiritual from the physical, it just feels uncomfortable to us. God made you physical and he wants it that way. It ain't going to change in heaven. Now we know to be dead, right, before Christ returns, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, with your spirit, but what Paul's talking about is a new and recreated cosmos, period, full redemption of your body. This is accomplished by the resurrection of Jesus. If you want to know what that's like, look backwards to see your future, the resurrected body of Christ. This, is, this guarantee is deposited by the Spirit of God into your life in real time. As we learned last week, confirming to us that we actually do belong, we are a child of God, and you receive that through faith. So what do you do about all that? What is the call of this text for you and for me? If our expectations are going to drive our endurance, now what? Listen to how this ends. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Do not build your life on things that you can see right now. That's not the kind of hope that God is talking about. That's not the kind of hope that God offers through Christ Jesus. If you're building your life 
on something that you can see or some better version of what you have now, then you're not seeing the glory of God. We are called to hold tight into God's promise. The word says patient, but it's better endurance. You're going to have so much opposition in this life to following Jesus. Hold tight. Stand firm. Do not let go. Don't wander away. Hold tight to what God has given you in Christ Jesus. So, what makes your suffering bearable? Simply said, the suffering of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus for you. You see, he subjected himself, not unwillingly, but willingly, to futility, to death. Like Adam, he was put into the dirt. But unlike Adam, he did not experience corruption or decay. He lives. He walked out of the tomb. Every hope you have must be lodged in that fact and in the living person of Christ. He is the firstborn of all of creation that's being redeemed, starting with the people of God. That's what makes our suffering bearable. Friends, this life is not the measure of your happiness. Jesus is. So hold tight, stand firm. I don't know what that's going to mean for you today, but here's, what, here's two things I'm seeing in this pandemic. A lot of people that seem to be very tightly organized into the church are long gone. So if you're here for friendship or you're here for benefit, and you're not here for God's glory, change that. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that are coming into the church that have never even explored it before. And they're like, does anything matter in life? You guys seem to think so. I want to find out. Give your life to Christ. He makes all of your suffering bearable because he takes it on. And what is coming for you is incomparable to what we're experiencing now in glory. Jesus pays for our sin and wins this glory for us. Let's live for him. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that this word is true, and this word is true for us, and this word is true for us in this church, in this city today. Let us feel and taste and see the incomparable glory that is displayed by you through Christ. And we have a small taste of that in this future that's coming. Let that sustain us, your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.